Amen. We are starting a new series today. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open to Genesis chapter 2 and to John chapter 13 are the two texts that we will primarily be looking at today. And the whole idea behind the series is that we are better together. Like peanut butter and jelly, peanut butter is good, jelly is good, but you put them together and something magical happens. And it's the same way with us, is that we were created to live in relationships with each other. I've been learning a lot about uh, life, really, through the eyes of a seven-month-old. And uh, some of you are like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of your intellect level. But no, it's because I have a seven-month-old. And every child I've had, I've learned so much about life from them because kids see the world differently than how we see it. And what's important to a kid is a lot of times very different from what's important to us. And I think a lot of times the kids have it a lot more right than we do. So my seventh-month-old, Eliana, uh, there's only two things in this world that she needs to be healthy at this point. Uh, the first is food. She is hungry all the time. She is constantly eating. She puts things in her mouth that aren't food and have no business being in her mouth, but she's just always eating. She needs to eat to continue to be healthy, continue to grow. She eats and she's happy. And the only other desire that I have been able to pick up on so far coming from her is that she has the desire for a relationship. She eats, and that's great, but when she's done, all she wants to do is just look me or look mommy in the eye. She wants to be held by her brother or sister. She doesn't want to be by herself. She doesn't want to be alone. She wants to be with people. She doesn't care about toys so far. You know, we have like baby Einstein stuff for her because we want to stimulate her mind. She doesn't care. Complete waste of money. She just wants to look into your eye and to know that she's loved and to do the best that she can to express her love and affection towards you. All she wants is food and relationship with other people. And I, what happens, though, is our kids, as they grow, what I've noticed is my six-year-old, he still loves food. He probably loves food even more than he did back then. Kids just always eating. And he still wants a relationship. He still wants to wrestle with me, and he still wants to talk with me and stuff like that. But he also gets distracted by the iPad. Uh, he wants to play games on that. He wants to watch shows on it, do things like that. And so now he's getting distracted from relationship. And then as we continue to age, we get more and more distracted from relationship. Things like school, uh, our careers, um, things like money and the pursuit of that, pursuit of pleasure, all of these things and just the busyness of life begin to compete with the time that we have. And so like, none of us are ever going to give up on the food thing. Like, no matter what, we are going to continue to follow that childlike desire for food. But oftentimes what happens is we begin to sacrifice relationships with other people, healthy relationships with other people to pursue other things. And as we pursue these other things, we continue to find ourselves in a place of where we're unhealthy, and so we continue to pursue these other things more and more. We find ourselves more and more unhealthy because we're pursuing the wrong things. There's a need that every single one of us has built into us, hardwired into the human psyche to have healthy relationships with other people. And the reason for that is because it's the way that God made us. As God's creating everything, when you start reading through Genesis chapter 1, the creation account, God's creating things. He creates the heavens and the earth, and he says it's good. He creates you know, the, the sun, and he says it's good. He creates uh, animals and fish and trees and all these things. And every time he creates something, he pronounces that what he has created is good. Except one thing. There's one thing in all of God's creation that he pronounced as not being good. 
And you might think it was the mosquito or the, the ice storm in April as being not good, or the possum, those are devil animals, I hate them so much. But the thing that God says isn't good is in chapter 2, verse 18 of Genesis. It says, Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make, a, I will make him a helper fit for him. Now that word helper a lot of times is misconstrued and it makes you think like God created Eve just to be Adam's helper as someone that was subordinate to him, below him. The word helper is also used to refer to the Holy Spirit, is that the Holy Spirit comes in and empowers us and helps us. And we would certainly never think of the Holy Spirit as being below us or just being a servant to us. What I'm speaking about is that it's God's uh, provision is being provided to us so that we can do that which we never could have accomplished alone. And it's not just speaking to the marriage relationship, but it's speaking to humanity as a whole. Is that God has given us all a purpose. There's a task. There's a call on every single one of us, but we can't do it alone. It's not good that we're trying to live out and do what God's called us to on our own. We need the help of other people. We need the help of healthy relationships that he gives to us. Now think about this though, Adam, like if anybody had it made, it was Adam. The dude's perfect. His hairline is perfect. I think about that a lot. No receding hairline. His physique is perfect. He's living in paradise. There are no snowstorms in the Garden of Eden. He has perfect relationship with God. There's no sin. But yet God looks at him and says, it's not good that you're alone. You plus paradise is not good. You plus God and nothing else even isn't good. God says that it's not enough for you just to have relationship with him, even though that's the, the foundational, that is the greatest desire and need that we have in our life. But he also created us with a need for relationship with other people for us to be pronounced good. The reason for that is because in Genesis 1.26, this is before God's created humanity. He says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. What it's saying about humanity is that we were created in the image, that we were created in the likeness of God. That's the obvious thing about this verse. But it also reveals something about what it means to be made in God's image and in his likeness. God says, Let us. He doesn't say, Let I am going to or let me make. He says, Let us. And then he says, in our image, not in my image, but in our. He's speaking to more than one. And that doesn't mean that God's just talking with the angels, let's make us in our image, because we aren't made in the image of the angels. What it's speaking to is the fact that God himself has always existed in community, because God is a triune being. Now, this is a very hard theology to understand, and if you understand it, then you are the only person in the entire world that does. It's one of the mysteries of our faith, is that God is three persons in one being. There's one God. We don't worship three different gods. We worship one God, but he eternally exists in three different persons. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. There's nothing else that we can relate it to. Some people use bad examples of, he's like water. He can be ice or liquid or gas. It's like, no, that's not. That's modalism. That's not who God is. We can't grasp it because we don't have anything else that we can relate it to. But all through Scripture, we see again and again that God eternally exists, three persons that are one being. 
And what that means is that God has always had community. God has always had relationship. Before he created anything else, there was always three persons that were in perfect, loving relationship with each other. If God is love, then that means that he's always been able to love someone. If, if there's no one for you to love or to receive love, then you can't be loved. So he's always been able to be loved because he's always existed in three persons. Now, this is how it relates to us. If God has a, a need and himself exists in a state of eternal relationship, then it means that if we're created in his likeness, if we're created in his image, then we also are created with the need to have relationship with others as well. We have to have other healthy relationships in our life or we won't be healthy people. And that's why God looked at Adam alone and said, this isn't good because he was created for relationships. Every single one of us was created for relationships. And so this is what God does and how he solves this problem that Adam has. It says in 2, 19 through 25, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast out of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. The rib that the Lord had taken from the man, uh, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this is at last the bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh." And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So you might say, why does God do the animal parade? It was like, doesn't God know that none of, like the hippopotamus is not going to be the suitable relationship that Adam needs or the dog or the cat or the orangutan? Like God knew that none of these were going to be what it was that Adam needed to be good and to be healthy. When God does things, he's doing it for our benefit. When we read what God is saying and talking, it's not for God's benefit or he's trying to figure something out so he's having a, a, like a conversation with himself. These things are for our benefit so we can begin to understand more about who God is and also so we can understand more about who we are. The reason that God brought all, first of all, the reason that God created Adam alone, even though he knew that he wouldn't be good in that state, and then the reason that he brought the whole animal parade in front of him so that Adam could see that none of these were suitable helpers, was to put Adam in the place of where he recognized his need for someone else. When he saw everything that was out there, and then all of a sudden Eve was brought to him, now he was able to appreciate what it was that God did for him. One of the things that I'm grateful for, but maybe not in the way some other people are, is indoor plumbing. Like my grandpa told me that he was 17 years old when they installed the first toilet in their house. Up to the age of 17, he had to go out and to use an outhouse in the middle of the winter. So when the toilet was installed in his home, it was a game changer, and he was forever thankful and grateful for it. And even to his last day, I think he probably appreciated the toilet a lot more than I have ever appreciated it. Why? Because he existed without a toilet for part of his life. So then when he received that which he needed, he was so much more grateful for it. When we find ourselves in the place of where we're alone, 
what it does is it makes us realize our need for other people. When we find ourselves in the place of where we have unhealthy relationships, it makes us realize the need that we have for healthy relationships, and it also makes us so much more glad for God's provision for us when he brings that to us. And then the other thing that it does is it shows us how relationships are supposed to work. It says that they were naked and they were not ashamed. Like, that's a miracle. Like, I don't even like seeing myself, let alone other people. I, like, you know, they have the exhaust fan in your bathroom when you take a shower so things don't get steamed up. I leave it off so the mirror gets steamed up and I don't have to see myself <laughs> in the mirror. I'm ashamed of my own self. But here Adam and Eve are naked, and it says that there's no shame that they're experiencing. Now, that's a husband and wife relationship, obviously, but there's also something that is speaking to more than that, is that they were able to exist in a state of where they didn't have anything to be ashamed of from each other. They weren't giving each other shame about their bodies. They weren't giving each other shame or judgment or condemnation because of the things that they had done or the things that had been done to them. It's speaking to the fact that they were able to be emotionally and spiritually transparent. This is who I really am. This is how my life is, and I don't have to hide that from you. You look at me, you see me for all of my faults, all of my flaws, all of my reality, and I don't have to have any shame because you're not doing anything that would cause me to feel shame about who I am. That's the way God created our relationships to be. We were created to have other people. We can't be healthy without other people. And we were created to live in relationships that were marked and defined by a love that would make it so that we don't have to feel guilt and shame and condemnation for each other because of the way that we love each other. Now, that's not the way that we experience relationships. We look at that, and it's a beautiful thing that God has provided. I think it's something that we can look at and we say, I want relationships like that. I want other people to love me in that way. I want to be able to love other people in that way. But we're not able to do that. And the reason for that is because sin has affected every relationship that we have. To Adam and Eve, they don't continue to live like this forever. Sin comes in and, and they, they sin against God, and the first thing that happens after they sin against God in chapter 3 is it says that they realize that they're naked and they become ashamed. And they're naked and they're afraid. It's not just a discovery show. Like, naked and afraid was their reality, because now there was something that was causing shame, and they looked at each other, now there was judgment that came into it. So they sewed fig leaves around themselves to try to cover their shame. Like, you can't get rid of shame. What you do is you try to cover it. That's all that we're able to do is to try to cover and to hide our shame. Uh, that's, like, that's what we do as a culture. You know what social media is? Is it's us lying to every other person about what our life is like. And nobody, I've tried to take a selfie about three times in my life, and it is so awful that I would never post it. Because I don't know how to do like the lip pout. I don't know how to get the angles that don't show like my turkey neck. Like every time I do it, I look disgusting. And so I don't want to post that because I don't want people to know the reality of who I am. Here's what we do. Like, we suck it in, we stick it out, get the right angle. And then we put filters on it, filter after filter after filter to disguise the reality of who we are. Because we don't want people to see who we really are. We want to portray an image of ourselves that's better and that's different. And the reason we do that is because we want other people to love us. We want other people to accept us. We don't want them to look at us and be like, oh, look at turkey neck preacher. Like, 
We want to be loved and accepted, so we try to portray a false reality or to hide things about ourselves so that other people will love us. That's the result of sin. It puts us in a place of where we know now that other people aren't always going to love us and to accept us and that they are going to judge us. We feel shame, condemnation, guilt, so we have to hide. They hid from God. And then what happens with their relationship, remember Adam, he's like, you are flesh in my flesh. You're bone of my bone. For this reason, children are going to leave their parents and they're going to be united and they're going to be one flesh together forever. Like, this is what he says when he sees Eve. Like, romantic, beautiful. Oh, Adam. As soon as God comes and says, hey, like, what's up? You sinned. You did what I told you not to do. He's like, it was the woman. It was that woman that you get. I didn't create woman. God, you created woman and she deceived me. Like, she has led me away from you and all you created me to be. Eve's over there like, what happened to that like one flesh, bone of my bone talk? Like, you idiot. But blame came into the relationship that had once been filled with love. Condemnation and shame came into the relationship that had once been so united, so pure. And it wasn't just that. It was now, uh, God says, as a part of the result of sin entering into humanity, one of the things that sin's going to corrupt is your relationships that you have with each other. Adam and Eve, it used to be fine being equals together. That's why it talks about being created from the rib is in ancient cultures, it speaks to equality. So if you're created from something ahead, that shows that you're above. If you're created like from something down here, it meant that you were below that person. But if it's from the side, it means that you're equal. So Adam and Eve lived in equality, but he says, but now what you're going to do is instead of living equal to each other and putting each other's needs above your own and living in unity, it says that now you're going to fight. You're going to fight to have position and control over each other. You're going to want to control the other person, but they're not going to let you do that. They're going to fight to try to control you. That's how destroyed the marriage relationship became, because of sin. And it's not just marriage. It starts out with marriage because there was just two people. But if marriage is the strongest relationship we have, it's a covenant between a man and a woman for life, committed to God and to following after him and loving and serving each other. If even that that the strongest commitment, the strongest relationship there is, if that can be destroyed by sin, then it can destroy and will destroy every other relationship as well. The next thing that we see sin doing is in Cain and Abel. Two brothers, I love it. they were created to be their brother's keeper, is that I'm going to be the one who's looking out for my brother. I'm committed to my brother's well-being. I'm committed to upholding him. I'm committed to being there for him. But what happens is sin comes in, and it makes it so that Cain becomes angry, and he becomes jealous with his brother Abel. And he takes him out into a field, and he kills him. He goes from being the one who's created to be his brother's keeper to the one who took his life because of the results and the effects of sin on our relationships. The next person we see is Lamech. And Lamech continues to see the results of sin, destroying relationships. What God created is one man, one woman, covenant of marriage forever. Now it says Lamech takes multiple wives. Sin has so corrupted the marriage relationship that now he's taking more than one wife. And he says that he's attacked by someone else. Like some guys were laughing, like, why would you do that? But he takes more than one wife, and then it says that someone attacks him and he sings this song and bragging about the fact that he killed the man. He overpowered and killed the person that attacked him. So don't you mess with me because I'm bad and I'll do even worse to you if you try to come and do anything to me. 
the marriage relationship, the sibling relationship, the relationship and community with other people. Every relationship has been affected and it has been destroyed by sin. Fear, manipulation, abuse, exploitation for our own gain, hate, all of these things have entered into the relationships that God created us to have with each other and the relationships that God called good. No relationship was safe. Every single one of them. The relationships that had once been based out of love and, and serving each other were now all about self-interest and were marked by hate instead of love. We can all relate to that. Every single one of us has been the victim of sin in our relationships with other people. We've all been abused. Every single one of us, relationally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, sexually, whatever it might be, every single one of us has been the victims of sin at work in our relationships and destroying and perverting what God created to be good. And it's worse than that. Not only have we been the abused, but every single one of us has been the abuser. Every single one of us has played out sinful desires into our relationships with other people. Because of that, it's no wonder that we live trying to protect ourselves. It's no wonder that we live trying to build up walls and barriers to protect ourselves from other people and the way their relationships are going to affect us. That's the natural response. We do things to try to protect ourselves. But as we build up the walls, as we build up the barriers to secure ourselves, to keep ourselves from being hurt, what happens is we also build up barriers and walls that isolate us and leave us lonely and leave us unfulfilled and unhealthy because we're unable to have the godly relationships that we were created for. Just because sin came in and distorted, perverted, that doesn't mean that the need that we have for godly, healthy relationships somehow went away. It's still there but we're just not able to have those sorts of relationships. So much of the Old Testament law is God says, because of the way that you live, because of the effects of sin on your relationships, these are laws that you have to have to try to safeguard society. These are the consequences for the playing out of your sinful desires inside of relationships. These laws were never able to change our heart. They were never able to really enable us to have the kinds of relationships that God created us to have. They were just there to help stem the tide of evil and sinfulness to protect us. But they continued to leave us lonely. They continued to leave us frustrated. They continued to leave us so far from the place that God created us to be. But the good news is, is that Jesus restores relationships Jesus came to restore all things. He came to make all things new. And a part of why he went to the cross, the part of why he laid down his life, atoned for our sins, bore the penalty for it himself, was so that we could have the restoration of relationships the way that God created us to have them, the way that God created us to need them. 
It says this in John chapter 13, after Jesus has been crucified, he's been resurrected, and he's getting ready to ascend into heaven. So these are some of the last things that he's saying to his disciples. And he says this in uh, 34, uh, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus says, I have a new command for you. He doesn't say, I have a new suggestion for you. I have a new best practice for you to put into place. This isn't an optional thing for us. If we have bent the knee to Jesus and declared that he's God, that he's king, and that our life now is submitted to him and about following him, then he says that we have to love one another in the way that he has loved us. We have to love each other. And what does that look like? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you've ever been to a wedding, you know this verse. But it talks about what godly love looks like, what godly relationships look like. It says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. We oftentimes think of this as this is the couple's verse. This is the way that you're supposed to love each other if you're in a marriage. That is true, that you should love your spouse in this way. This is what love looks like. But Paul wasn't writing this as a part of the pre-marriage counseling. He wasn't writing this to people who were married or who were engaged. He was writing this to the church body. He was writing this to every single person who's claimed Jesus as their king and has now entered into being a disciple of Jesus Christ. He says, this isn't just the way you're supposed to love your spouse. This is the way that you're supposed to love everyone, every single person. We're supposed to be patient with them. Every person we're supposed to be kind with. We're not supposed to envy anyone. We're not supposed to boast to anyone. We're not supposed to be proud with anyone. We're not supposed to dishonor anyone. Like, we live in America that is as countercultural as you can possibly be. If you have watched TV for more than three seconds or had any sort of an interaction with any person for more than five minutes, you will see that we're a, a culture that actually values dishonor. The more dishonorable you are and the more snarky and witty you are, the more people build you up as long as they agree with what it is that you're saying. But we pride the ability to tear other people down. It says it's not self-seeking. Oh, my American heart is just getting pierced by that. I'm not supposed to be self-seeking in my relationships with other people, not just my wife, not just my children, but with anybody. I'm not supposed to be self-seeking. Not easily angered. Keeps no records of wrong. That's a hard one. It doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. Always hopes. It always perseveres. We're supposed to protect everybody, not just the people we like. We're supposed to trust everyone. We're supposed to always hope in everyone. And the reason that Paul ends this by saying that love always perseveres is because you will have to persevere in loving someone like this. Because it doesn't come easy to us. It's not natural to us. Every person will give you opportunity again and again to have a legitimate reason to be angry, to keep a record of wrong, to be distrustful, to put you in a place of where you're going to be self-seeking. People will put you in a position of where you will have much opportunity to be dishonoring. I will do that to you. Every single one of these things. 
I will do these things to you. And God says that we have to make the conscious decision to persevere in loving each other in this way. Where we're patient, we're kind, we're not proud, we're not boastful, we're not keeping records of each other's wrongs. In a way that's not self-seeking for us, but in a way that's always protecting each other, that's always trusting each other, that's always hoping in each other. We have to persevere in loving each other like this. This is the command of Jesus for us as the body of Christ, for us as his disciples. These are the kinds of relationships that God created us to have and that now he has made possible for us through the cross. That's not something you can do on your own. That's not something any of us can do on our own. Here's what we need to understand about loving people in that way and loving one another like Jesus loves us is that it's something that we grow into. Not a single one of us is measuring up to that right now. But it's the upward call of Christ. It's us going from glory to glory. Is that Jesus has come in and he's beginning to change our hearts. He's beginning to change our minds and empowering us so that we can grow more every day in the ability to love each other like this. And that's why we have to continue to persevere because when we walk out of here today, we're not going to do this perfectly. Hopefully what happens is today there's conviction from the Holy Spirit of that's what I've been called to live like, that's what I want for myself, those are the kinds of relationships that I want, and now I'm going to start taking my baby steps to start growing in this, and it's like riding a bike, I'm going to fall over, but I'm going to get back up, I'm going to fall over, but I'm going to get back up, I'm going to grow in this every single day, I'm committed to it. And here's the other thing you need to know about it, is that it's only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. You can't willpower yourself into this. You can't just decide that you want this and now it's automatically going to happen. The opposite of this is what automatically happens inside of our lives. But this is what John says in the book of 1 John chapter 4. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have been and testified that the uh, Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. What John is saying here is that if we don't love our brothers and sisters, if we don't love one another, that we actually aren't even Christians, that we can't say that we're disciples. He gets really harsh about it in some of his other letters where he talks about if you say that you hate your brother and you love God, you're a liar. He says, like, just stop lying, stop telling everybody that you're a disciple of Jesus because if you hate someone else, then there's no way that the power and the presence of God is inside of you. Like, man, John's just like slapping us around with that. 
He says that we instead are called to love other people like God loved us. And the way that we're able to do this, the way that we're able to break free from the bondage of sin in our hearts that's infected every relationship and has poisoned every relationship, has caused us to be abused and caused us to become abusers of other people, is for us to bend the knee to Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you're king. And my life now isn't about following my own desires. My life is about following after you. And it says that when we make that decision, it says that the Holy Spirit comes into us. And what the Holy Spirit begins to do is to change our hearts. He begins to renew our minds. He changes the way that we think. So instead of saying, this person wronged me, now I'm going to get justice against them. Instead, the Holy Spirit will come, and when someone wrongs us, the Holy Spirit will start to stir up a desire to say, no, they wronged me, but I'm going to show them grace. They might have wronged me, but I'm going to show them mercy. They might have done something really stupid, but I'm not going to dishonor them. I'm going to continue to honor them. They might have done something that deserves judgment, but instead of me exercising judgment over them, I'm going to love them and have compassion and have mercy for them. They might be an enemy. They might be deserving of death. But just like I was deserving of death and Jesus came and laid down his life for me, now I'm going to be the one who lays down my life for the person who's wronged me. That's the power of the Holy Spirit at work inside of our hearts. It's the way that God has called us to love each other. It's the natural outworking of the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit inside of us. It's, it takes us from the place of where we divide ourselves. And I mean, If you're surprised that America's divided, it's because you don't know American history. Back, back to the Revolutionary Wars, like 50% of the people wanted to go fight King George and 50% of the people wanted to keep being loyal colonists. We have always been divided. And we continue to be divided. That shouldn't be surprising to us that we're divided and hate each other and despise each other and judge each other and dishonoring towards each other. That's the way the world works. That's the outworking of sin in our hearts. But what should be surprising, what should be shocking and terrifying and disgusting to us is when we divide ourselves in the church. When we despise our brothers and our sisters that Jesus shed his own blood to redeem when we look at people who are still growing in their faith, just like we are, people who still have brokenness inside of them, just like every one of us does, and we elevate ourselves over them, and we become self-seeking. Or instead of pouring ourselves out for those who would even abuse us, we would say, you might abuse me, you might take advantage of everything that I ever do for you. But it's the love of Jesus See, what Jesus did was he came and he went to the cross not just for the people who would decide that they're going to follow after Jesus and receive the benefits of his sacrifice. He went to the cross for people who would always despise him. He went to the cross for people who would always reject him. He went to the cross for people who would never take advantage of the gift that he's given us. Why? Because he loves us. That's the way that we've been called to love. That's the way that the Holy Spirit in you wants you to love other people. And as we move into that, here's what it says will happen. When we begin to love people, and, and my goodness, the hardest thing in this world is relationships. I would be the best pastor in the entire world if I didn't have any people in my church, right? <laughs> I would be the greatest husband in the world if I wasn't married. I'd be the greatest father if I had no children. But relationships make everything hard. Relationships will always lead to opportunities for offense. 
Relationships will always lead us to the place where we can elevate ourselves over other people. But Jesus calls us to submit ourselves to others, to forgive, to extend mercy, to extend grace to people who don't deserve mercy and grace, to honor people who don't deserve honor, to lay our life down for people who will always abuse you. Why is that? Because that's the way that Jesus loves us. God's forgiven us of worse than anything we'll ever have to forgive someone else for. The most unjust thing that ever happened in this world was Jesus going to the cross. It should have been me. But Jesus didn't give me justice. He gave me mercy. Jesus didn't give me judgment. He gave me grace. I don't want what I deserve. None of us should. So we better not be concerned about giving other people what they deserve. When we start doing this, and we start getting this right as a church, this is what Jesus says, that other people are going to know that you're my disciples. When you decide to enter into the messiness of relationships the way that God has us, when you decide to enter into relationships with other broken people, to come back to the place that God created us to be, not only will you receive the benefit and the reward of relationship and community, but you're also going to be the proof to the world around us that Jesus is real, that Jesus is God, and that Jesus has the power to change the human heart. If we love each other like Jesus has called us to, the world will never understand that. They will never be able to do anything to replicate that. And they will see it as so beautiful that it will be all the proof they need of the gospel that we preach. A lot of people blaspheme our God not because of our message, the message is perfect. The message is beautiful. But because they look at us and they see how hateful we are, we see how vindictive we are, how concerned we are with judgment, how concerned we are with what other people deserve. They don't see the grace and the compassion and the love and the mercy of Jesus in us. And so they say it must be a story. But when we live this right, not perfectly, because we will never live it perfectly. But when they start seeing that the way that we in the church love each other and the relationships that we have with each other are like what Jesus talks about, there won't be room enough in any building in our city for the people that are going to come flocking to the body of Jesus Christ. It's worth it because it's obedience to what Jesus has called us to. It's worth it because it's the only way that we're ever going to be healthy. And it's worth it because it's the testimony of Jesus Christ to the world around us that's lost, that's lonely, that's broken, and that's isolated. But it means that we're going to have to lower and to humble ourselves because we're going to offend each other again and again. 
we're going to wrong each other again and again. And sinful desires will continue to rise up in our hearts again and again. And we're going to have to have the spiritual maturity and the spiritual power in our hearts to continue to humble ourselves, to forgive those who wrong us, to pray for those who would persecute us, to lay down our lives for our enemies, and to continue to live and to love like Jesus has called us to. I want that so badly for my life. I want it so badly for this church. When we get this right, everything about your life and everything about this church and everything about our city is going to change. Would you stand with me this morning? Just take a minute really hear from God. Some of you are here this morning and the abuse that you've gone through in relationships has been so great and it's caused such hurt in your life that you can't extend forgiveness to those people who have hurt you. It's caused you to put yourself in a place of isolation. This morning, the Holy Spirit is here with the power to break down every barrier, to break down every wall, to give you the power to forgive those who have wronged you, and to give you the boldness that you need to be able to take the risk of entering into community and into relationship with others. Jesus, would you break down those walls now? God, would you break the heart so that they can forgive and fully release those who have wronged them? And Jesus, would you come and minister to their hearts there's some of you here that right now you know that you've been in a place where you've been the abuser in a relationship. You've been acting out sinful desires on other people. You've been doing the opposite of 1 Corinthians 13. Jesus is calling you to repent. He's calling you to humble yourself. And the only way that you can do that is by his power in your life. He's the only one that can give you the power to humble yourself and to love others. To be able to honor others who have wronged you. To be able to love others who have hurt you. And not continue to abuse them. If that's you, and you just cry out, Jesus, forgive me for what I've done. And Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, begin to change me and to make me into someone who loves like you love them. God, give me the ability to have grace and mercy for others and to lay my life down. But all of this starts with the place of us bending our knee to Jesus and saying, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you have bought the forgiveness of my sins with your own blood. I believe that you sent the Holy Spirit now to me to give me new life and to recreate me in your image. And from this day forward, I'm going to follow after you, Jesus. Take my life. 
use my life for your plans and for your purposes. Make me like you, Jesus. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, I pray for every person here. God, would you restore our relationships? God, forgive us collectively as a church body for the way we've sinned against each other. God, would you work reconciliation in our hearts? Would you work humility, forgiveness, love, love like you have? And Jesus, that we wouldn't hold on to our rights and our privileges, but that we would gladly lay them down, even to our very life, so that others might experience your love for them. Jesus, would you build Radiant Church into a church that models and demonstrates your love so beautifully, not perfectly, God, because we know we won't do that this side of eternity, but would you fill us with so much love and grace and mercy for each other through the Holy Spirit that even in the places where we offend each other, where we wrong each other, where we continue to live out sinful desires, that we would have the ability to forgive, God, that we would have the humility to ask for forgiveness, Jesus, that we would be those who have the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel demonstrated in our own hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. We are better together. It's not easy, but it's so worth it. Here's what I want you to do. Is if, if you were in a breakthrough group and your group's continuing, uh, keep going to your group. Uh, the reason we're talking about relationships now and, and how to live in them is because you had six weeks together and it was pretty awesome, but now there's going to start being friction because we're humans. And so we're going to look at how it is that we continue to love each other and how it is that we operate through that over the next few weeks. Uh, but go to your group. You need community. Uh, if, you're, if your group isn't continuing, then find a group that you can get plugged into. Maybe you haven't been in a group. Go to Guest Central. Hop online at radiant2.com. Look under groups. Find a group that you can join. Maybe you want to lead a group. Man, let us know at Guest Central, and we'll do everything that we can to empower and equip you to be able to help create community and to love each other here at Radiant Church. But it's so important that we don't do this alone anymore, but that we love each other and live together. Uh, here's the other thing. Is I'm going to have my prayer partners come forward. They're going to be on the outsides of the aisles here. Uh, if there's anything we can pray for you about, uh, we want to pray for you. We see Jesus move miraculously every single week in response to the prayers of his people. Or maybe you made a decision to follow Jesus. Come let us know so we can pray for you, encourage you. Or maybe you don't have the boldness yet to come up here and talk to me or one of us. Uh, you can text I decided to 97000. And what we'll do is we'll contact you. We'll shoot you a text back. We have a book that we want to give you to help you in this new journey that you've started. Uh, so let us know that way. And we'd love to get together with you and, and see what we can do to help encourage you in this new journey of following after Jesus. So remember, tonight, not tonight, and on Wednesday at 7 p.m., come here for the pancakes and prayer. No, no pancakes and prayer. Just prayer and worship with IHOP, and, uh, and we'll see you next week. God bless everybody. Take care.